The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Please visit pod617.com to find out how we can produce your podcast. Tonight on our big season two finale, the artist alien connection. Are artists divine beings of light selected by celestial beings to impart messages on mankind? Or are they no good hippie wastes of space on the dole and on the pot? You ain't nothing but a hybrid. Thank you very much. Maddie and Ronnie have entered the building. Let's go! mystery. A paranormal perfect storm known simply as Monsterland. The Monsterland podcast is recorded live in an undisclosed location somewhere in the heart of high strangeness just outside of Monsterland, Massachusetts. And now here are your hosts, paranormal author, researcher, and speaker, Ronnie LeBlanc, and the host of the Curse of Oak Island drilling down on the History Channel, Maddie Blake. You know what's amazing is we we have this picture on our <laughs> social media, Ronnie, and it's Robert Johnson. We're going to talk about all these. And yeah. The picture is Robert Johnson, uh, John Lennon, um, Elvis, and then a, a UFO. And it reads uh, the the in the social media thing. Was Elvis an alien? There's UFOs over New York. We ain't too surprised. Fully formed art, but from whom? All this and more in our big season two finale. The Artist Alien Connection. We'll talk to real live rock stars and actors this Friday the 17th. Don't miss at Monsterland Pod. We are sitting in this episode right now, and all these people wrote comments and, like, whoa, I can't wait for this one. And oh, wow, I got to check this out. And then someone just wrote, like, about 10 down. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it is a pretty ridiculous looking picture. But when you hear these stories, judge ye not. Oh, yeah. Because there's a connection. Well, we're going to come with our... You know what? We're going to factor Falcon this. This mm. whole big special, which, by the by, probably will be a two-parter because we've got tons of material here yeah. and multiple interviews in the can. We might not even get to all the interviews we have to do. But uh, so if it shuts off, just know that there's a second part coming, most likely. Um, but judge ye not, because these stories are unbelievable, undeniable in some cases. And at the end of this, Ronnie, we will do a factor falcon. We will say definitively, after we've gone through all the research, for this one, we actually did do research, believe it or not. And we're going <laughs> to say, factor falcon, is there an artist-alien connection or artist-paranormal connection? Artist-alien just had the alliteration thing going yeah. for it. But truly what we're examining here is, is there some sort of connection between that which we can't explain and the creative brain? Mm. is the basic question we're looking at. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. All right, full house tonight. Producer Carrie. Hi, yeah. Carrie. Hi, Carrie. And of course, the spiritual leader, as uh, Chachi LaPrette says, David. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Producer David. Yeah. Yes, Chachi uh, says David. Yeah. Good, good to be here. Chachi uh, calls him his spiritual leader on his Beatles right. podcast. Um, a lot to get to tonight. Ronnie, let's just catch up real quick. This is yes. our, uh, well, if it's a two-part, it'll be our penultimate right now, but yep. it's basically our last episode of season two. What's been going on with you? Man, 20 episodes. We had a couple of micros in there, but that went by Didn't like it? split like super fast. And we're just arbitrarily wrapping season two because I have right. to go to Oak Island. And, but, you know, Headed into summer, the kiddos, yeah. uh, school. So It doesn't mean anything in terms of, you know, who knows, we might try to do something a little different next season, but it's going right. to be just more, more of great pod at your face. Um, 
That's that. that got really weird wow. really fast. That got really weird really fast. I'm in a mood. I had a coffee, as you can tell. Did Sweet. it have caramel Jesus. in it? Well, <laughs> this excites me because this is like melding two of my favorite things, talking paranormal, talking ethereal subject mm-hmm. matter, and music. And art yeah. and acting. It's like a perfect storm. Doing it, hey, if there was a couple of haunted golf stories, I'd be really. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'd be really out of control. Which there is, by the way. There's some parent. We should do that. A paranormal golf episode. Ooh. No, we shouldn't. At night. <laughs> um, so what's going on with your life, Ronnie? Let's catch up real quick. Uh, had an interesting thing. Uh, we spoke recently at Parafest up in Kittery, Maine. Right. You and I, right? That was you, a blast. That was fun. Oh, my Good God. Good crowd. Yeah. Um, and I had an interesting conversation afterwards, which I wasn't going to bring up at all. Remember? Uh, <gasps> and now, all right, hold on. <laughs> this is one of those things. So we, this, if we do this, it's like opening a door, which if is. If you already, even mention, all right, let's do this. Let's use <clears throat> let's use a, a a nickname for the group. Oh, uh, let's call them. Well, everyone's known them as the, the company. Right. Right. So let's uh, come up with something that they'll never suspect. Let's call them the BIA. She <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So Code. I, had, I had a gentleman come up to me after. Yeah. And was saying, hey, I want to raise my hand and talk to you, you know, during your presentation, but I want to talk to you afterwards and explain to me that he. Used to work for the CIA, was in black the ops. The BIA. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're trying to throw the them B- up the scent. Yes. The BIA. <laughs> and uh, did a lot of like clandestine stuff mm. and talked about knowing Devons really well. Fort Devons, the uh, local military yep, base right outside of Monsterland. Done some things there. And uh, he said to me, he's like, I wouldn't be shocked if they're, you know, monitoring you. Oh, for God's and, sakes. I don't want this. But what that, I was like, I was like, yeah, whatever, you know. But he said, uh, you know, he goes, uh, I feel like I'm being tracked. He goes, I still have my security clearance and all that good stuff. But um, he goes, they're probably tracking you. You probably have an implant. Holy God. And I was like, hey, okay, all right. Uh, And if that's what it is, what are you going to do? You know, where is it? Who knows? But. I had an interesting thing can happen. I, can last I night. search? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Have some more coffee. Uh, that so quickly. Uh, yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> Amy and I were talking last night. My wife and we we're just sitting up in bed and um, playing find the implant. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. That's what she said. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that was good. Sorry, that was really good. Uh, <laughs> So we have, you know, security cameras throughout the house, and we have one downstairs. And um, she was talking about that where I was mentioning the, the guy, and I kind of realized, you know, why they would be monitoring me or whatever right. or us is, is because right in the backyard where all this stuff's kind of going on, where they reportedly are. Right. Um, and so we started talking about that and talking about the cameras, and she said, do you think they could hack into the cameras? I'm like... Absolutely. Your your personal security yeah. cameras in your home. Right. So right. like they're watching us, you know, like type thing. And I was mm. like, I, I see why not. That'd be pretty easy for them, you know? Yeah. So three in the morning, you know, fall asleep, whatever. And three in the morning, I wake up and I hear. It's always three. It's always three. But I started waking up. I was almost in that quasi, like waking up from a dream, but mm-hmm. half awake. Mm-hmm. And I just started writing the second book. And I was kind of like, all right, yeah, I need to focus on whatever. And then. I'm writing about like ascended masters and shamanism and all this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, 
as I made that thought, this female voice said, ready to connect. And I was like, what the? And then there was like another 30 seconds. It was like, ready to connect. And I'm like, where the hell is that coming from? I look at my phone. There's nothing, you know, lighting up. I look at my wife's phone. And yeah, she Ronnie, wakes up. did you think was your first reaction? Mine would have been Siri, shut up. You know, <laughs> yeah, or right. like but Ale- it was, Alexa, shut up. It did right. not sound like that voice at all. It right. was almost like a, uh, like a British voice. Like it was just kind of weird. And I was like, mm. I've never heard this before. We never, ha- we've had these cameras now for a couple of years. I've never heard that <laughs> happen. But so we, you know, my wife wakes up. I think it was like four thirty-five, and she heard the voice again and looked over and I'm like, it must be coming from the camera. So when we get up. It was saying again, ready to connect, and everything else is like it lost the Wi-Fi, but everything else in the house uh, was fine. And she goes, "Isn't it odd that we're just talking about the could, BIA? Could the BIA hack into our cameras, cameras and the cameras go down? Basically. And the cameras go down literally hours before this conversation. Gross! And it's never happened before. Well, so I'd like I'll to like, remind the hello. BIA that uh, if they want to track someone, it's you they should track. I'm just a cable TV host." I couldn't. I hey, I couldn't do with any of this. I couldn't think of a better sponsor for the show than the BIA. I yeah, agree, right? Uh, ironically, uh, ready, co- ready to connect is what I say to Yoko when I'm ready to do it. <laughs> <laughs> ready to connect. Maddie Blake will be appearing at the Comedy Store in Lawrence, Massachusetts, <laughs> and at Giggle Fest I've reti- you see down in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. In Monsterland State. I've retired. <laughs> uh, uh, something weird happened to me, Ronnie, too, <clears throat> while we're just catching up. By the way, this is our big artist Alien Connection episode. We're going to talk about music, uh, connection to the paranormal, actors, artists of all kinds. We have an interview with uh, the son of a legendary actor, a great actor in his own right, uh, Tony Arkin. We have an interview with Michael Devin, the guy who did our theme song. He's the bassist and uh, backing vocalist for White Snake, and um, much more. So s- this is going to be an incredible episode. But <clears throat> something weird happened to me. Mm. So again, it's my mother. She keeps she keeps Showing surfacing, up. and in different ways in my life. Some of which I've shared in the podcast. Some of which I haven't. This one is just like a weird little one. So she, not because she doesn't didn't support me, but. My mother just comes, you know, like many of our parents came from a different time and place and didn't yeah. really understand what I did for years, you know. For she, work. And, yeah, yeah, she got it, but she was like, now how are you, are you doing your, your sketches? You know, she didn't know what to call it, you know. And it was cute, and but she just didn't really understand, like, if I was doing, like, I, I at one point I had a web series on NBCSports.com called The Maddie Blake Show. And she, I might as well have told her it was, you know, a Pythagorean theorem, <laughs> you know, she just finding something on the internet was just like not right. So she didn't, she said, are these on TV? Are they, you know, so she always supported everything I did in a general sense, but mm-hmm. she never really like sunk her teeth into anything unless yeah. it was like a commercial that she saw when she was watching TV. That she, you know, gotcha. yeah. And it's just a generational thing. It wasn't anything mm-hmm. that she wasn't into me, um, or supportive, but Oak Island from day one, she was huge fan, right? Like, she wanted to go there. It was weird. She had this, she it, like nothing else I've ever done. She was like, and she, and at the time, I don't even think she even knew what my role was going to be or what the show was, but she just like, I want to go. She goes, Ron, to my dad, who by the way, will be featured on tonight's episode. Yeah. We're going to hear from my dad in an unbelievable mistaken, well, not mistaken, but an unexpected interview, which is actually one of my favorites. That's we'll get awesome. to that tease. Um, she said, Ron, we're going to Oak Island for our 50th anniversary. My dad's like, what? We're going where? What? what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? <laughs> she was just teeth sunk into it all in. Well, she passed 
my first season working on the show mm. and never made it to Okan. She got too sick right before their 50th anniversary, wow. basically. She died. So Max is uh, thumbing through books. He's looking for a new book to read. And he stumbles upon an old edition of Treasure Island in, in my bookcase. Oh, cool. And read this inscription, uh, Ronnie. When he opens it up, this is what it says. Now, now, mind you, let me show you first what the book. Look at the inside jack of the book. What do you what do you see? Describe that for. It's 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 a bunch of what pirates. Yes, yeah. it's a bunch of pirates on yeah. a ship, yeah. and there's treasure chests all over the yeah. jacket of the book, <clears throat> as you can see here. Uh, there's treasure chests, right? Mm -hmm. It's total island. It's treasure. Treasure. It's yeah. pirates. And then Max is like, "Oh, I'm going to read this book," and he opens it up and read that. This is written on the inside oh of the book. God. He just found it in my pile of books. To Matt. Dated March 29th, 1981, to remember our day at was it? Quincy, Quincy Market. Quincy Market, with love, Mom. She inscribed Treasure that in Island. 1981 to me, bought me a copy of Treasure Island. Now, I, I wasn't into, she just, yeah, I really wasn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew I had read a book that featured Oak Island. I was into like weird stuff. But yeah. for some reason, she was just drawn to that. Pirates, treasure chests, ships. She wanted to read that book to me. And then years later as an adult, I get this job where she wanted to go. She was into it. And then Max is just looking through the bookshelf, right. pulls out this book, and it's all treasures, all That's treasure chests, and then it's inscribed from my mom. And I'm like, what is going on? Wow. That's crazy. Isn't that wild? That's awesome. So that was yeah. just another, like, wow. I, I took well, it's it as... Well, it's a combination of, like, crazy and heartwarming, right? Yeah, yes. it's beautiful. Yes. And then just the fact that it's the actual book that I was reading when I was in 10... Whatever I was, and then Max is reading it now. Yeah, and that so he gravitated cool. to that book, you know. Yeah, so it's like the coffee thing last week, the book thing this week. It yep. just it just keeps coming. That's super cool. Well, it's actually a great segue into the whole theme of this episode. Let's get into it, Ronnie. There's a lot to get to. Mm. Um <clears throat> because that's a piece of art. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote a book. And yep. and that is maybe an example of paranormal activity involved, a piece of art, and that's the theme of our whole episode. Yeah. So music and, and acting, filmmakers, actors, artist type, left brain people, if mm -hmm. you will, tend to, at an alarming rate, in a way, claim connection to paranormal and alien, um, both abductions, UFO sightings. So we're going to go through some of the stories, and I think it's, it's smart to start maybe at the beginning, when, in, when you're talking about, let's let's... Focus with music first. Yeah. And maybe like the first, he's probably not the first one, but I think it's the postmodern, if you will, biggest, most legendary connection between the paranormal of some kind and music. And that would be Robert Johnson. Mm. So let's start. And maybe you, some of you have heard of The Crossroads, selling his soul to the devil. Right. Uh, maybe you're familiar with the great Ralph Macchio movie, The Crossroads. <laughs> but the Robert Johnson story is so creepy and so incredible. So you just got to imagine, put yourself back uh, years and years, decades ago, the Mississippi Delta. Imagine a musical drifter. He's like a, a street performer. He's a perhaps like homeless, almost homeless. And he's showing up in your local music scene all the time. You know, he's playing on street corners, Ronnie. He's juke joints, local cafes, like a, a busker, basically. If you were modern day, you'd see him on subway platforms with his guitar case open looking for spare change. 
You recognize his face. He's of perhaps slightly above average musical talent. His background is murky. He's constantly on the scene, but you don't know much about him. And the truth is, you don't think much about him, so maybe you don't notice when he disappears from the local music scene. But you do notice one day as he mysteriously reappears, almost as mysteriously as he disappeared. This time, he plays like nobody you've ever heard. He outplays everyone. He's playing in a style that no one can explain. He plays with his back to the audience. They say that when he does turn, he has white cataracts over his eyes looking up into the lights. The blues masters of the time are blown away. They don't understand how it can't happen. It can't happen like that. In that amount of time that he was gone, what happened? His talent goes from the sidewalks to the stratosphere, from vagrant to virtuoso in what seems like an impossibly small amount of time. That is the story, the true story of Robert Johnson. None of that is made up. Uh, He grew up largely in the Mississippi Delta area, Ronnie, played harmonica, and he was reportedly an average at best. Some people even said he was an embarrassingly embarrassingly bad guitarist, but an okay harmonica player. So we don't know a lot about his childhood, but he comes on the scene, the music scene, he's following these blues masters around and he's like a, he was described as kind of like, almost like a hanger honor. Yeah. You know, he's asking like, show me some licks, show me some licks. And he has a wife, he gets married, she dies in childbirth. Um, He traveled around a little bit and he at another time gets married again, has another wife die of childbirth. But at some point as he's following these uh, blues masters around, he gets chastised by one of them. One of them kind of yells, I think it was this guy, Eddie James. They call him Sun House. And Eddie or one of those blues masters that he was tagging around with saying, show me a lick, play, I want to play like you guys, show me, show me. And he was like almost like a roadie for them mm. as it's described by some music historians. Um, one guy's, one night this guy's son house kind of just gives him a what for, like, hey man, stop hanging around, man, or whatever. And just, I think he tried to play something and was bad and fumbled it and they were just like, get the fuck yeah, out of here, audience man. audience was freaking. And he <clears throat> was crushed and he takes off. And at some point, it was about a year or less that he was gone. And he comes back onto the scene and the same guys, Sonhaus, these other blues masters are hanging outside a parking lot and they hear playing from inside this bar that they were just playing at. And they all stopped talking like they couldn't even wrap their minds around what they were hearing. It is like nothing, no style they'd ever heard. It was blues, but it was just chord progressions and style and finger picking that they had never, ever heard before. And they went running in like, who is this? And it was him. And they went, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like, it's impossible. And they confronted him. Sunhouse got so freaked out because the rumors started to circulate that he had sold his soul at the, the crossroads. Yeah, yeah. And Sunhouse confronted him. And as the story goes, uh, Sunhouse walked away from that conversation convinced and was convinced until the day he died and was quite clear on it that it was true that he sold his soul to the devil. And yeah. there were rumors about him practicing his guitar in graveyards. Right. Yep. So it's Maddie, if I may. Yes, please. If I may. So, please. So did is there any recorded evidence of how he answered the question as to how Great how question. did you get so good? Great question. Um okay, so this one interview I listened to with a blues historian, he says he can't um, find any evidence 
that he actually said he did. But that's a great segue into the sound we're about to play. What he started doing was, I would put it this way, at the very, he was doing one of two things, Robert Johnson. He was either through veiled hints in his music, telling the true story about how he sold his soul to the devil, number one, or the other option is number two, he enjoyed the rumors that were being circulated and was fanning the flames. Right, right. But he, let's, encouraged, he encouraged them because why not? Why not have a myth follow Correct, around? correct. Yeah. So it's one of the two because all of a sudden all these devil images start coming up in his music. And they called right. the devil, this is creepy too, back in the Mississippi Delta, they call him Old Scratch. And so as the story goes, Robert Johnson goes to the crossroads, which you can still go to. Um, I believe it's called the Dockery Plantation. And by the way, that place is cursed because a bunch of people have gone there, have had accidents. Uh, uh, Dwayne Allman from the Allman Brothers died at the crossroads in a motorcycle accident. Uh, another guy in that band got in a motorcycle accident, same place. Um, so there's curses that have followed that location. But he shows up at midnight or three in the morning, I, I think maybe midnight, and there's, a, there's actually a graveyard right across from the crossroads. Yeah. And Old Scratch appears. And all he had to do was speak out loud, like, I'm willing to sell my soul to play like a master. And there was a hound, right, with him, with the devil, too, some, that he said, glowing eyes, which I find interesting. Which is interesting. Yeah. So Robert Johnson sells his soul in a pack of the devil. He says, you will play like nobody else can play, and they will remember you for as long as music is played. Now, both those things came true. And, uh, but the thing about Old Scratch is at some point he's going to come collect your soul. Right. With, they call them, uh, hellhounds are going to come get you yeah. at some point. And ironically, Robert Johnson died in a very mysterious way, found dead by the side of the road, and they said he was screaming like a hellhound in those last days before he died. He died mm. very brutally uh, in a brutal death. And the first of the 27 Club. 27 Club. That's the other thing. He died yep. at 27, which the list is endless. Uh, Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison. Janis Jimi Joplin. Hendrix. John, Janis Joplin. Kurt Amy Cobain. Winehouse. Kurt Cobain. All musicians all died at 27. Robert Johnson's the first. Mm -hmm. So did Robert Johnson kick off this devil pact? And, and we've talked before, Led Zeppelin doing these black arts things. Right. I said in a previous episode, they did some sort of black mass at night. Uh, something was imprinted on the empty pool of mm -hmm. their friend's house. Of black mass. Because yeah. whatever they did some sort of demon or devil or something manifested and it freaked everyone out to the point of one of the guys at the party became a born again Christian on the spot to this right. day wears a crucifix. So this shit is real. Mm -hmm. And so he dies in this mysterious way. But uh, Dave, to your question, let's hear a little bit of evidence uh, what could be potential evidence of Robert Johnson uh, telling his story. This is a song uh, which is chilling um, well, listen to this. Early this morning, when you knocked upon my door. Early this morning, woo, when you knocked upon my door. And I said, hello, Satan. I believe it's time to go. In case you're keeping score at home, that's Hello Satan knocking at his door. Me and the devil were walking side by side. Me and the devil were walking side by side. 
And I'm going to be my woman until I get satisfied. So, um, I don't think those lyrics would fly nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, man, oh man. By the way, Maddie, can you walk me to my car tonight? I'm Seriously. Yeah, and then, but well, now <laughs> oh here's the other gosh. thing. Chilling. A lot chilling, of chilling, right? Chilling, and a lot of people believe that these songs are cursed, that if you play them, if you play them as a musician, if you cover them, bad things will happen to you. Eric Clapton covers Crossroads, Lost a Child. Uh. Um <gasps> It goes on and on and on. People have cr- covered Crossroads, the song. There's the Crossroads curse. Well, did it Stevie Ray Vaughan play Crossroads? Oh, yeah. He played Robert Johnson songs, I think, a lot. He was yeah. a blues aficionado. Yeah. So, I mean, Ooh. was he 26? No, he was a little older, I think. I think he was older. Yeah. But anyway, so huh. there you go. So that could be the start. Now, that is a very yeah. negative. All this stuff isn't negative. Yeah. But I was just thought it would be indicative, Ronnie, to, to show the first kind of example of unexplainable things attached to an artist. Mm. Now, most of what we're going to talk about is more uh, light and love and UFO and messages and all that. Right. But there's there's more than one side to all this stuff, as we know. Some no of it's question. dark. Yeah. And so then when you're talking music, who's the biggest name you could think of in, in postmodern music history? What's the name, the one name? I would say Elvis. Bingo. So now you think Elvis and paranormal. Mm. What the hell? Well... There is a serious paranormal connection when it comes to Elvis that many people believe, and when I say many people, I don't mean just fans. I mean Elvis himself. Elvis himself is quoted as saying that he was shown by light beings a video of himself, basically, at eight years old in Memphis. This would have to be 1939, and he said that these beings showed him uh, basically a tape of him singing in front of the world with a big fancy cape on, and cr- which he ended up kind of wearing in the Vegas Show, years. Right, showed him the future. Showed him the future. And he believed he was a you know being of light, like he was not just one of us. Right. And... And he had an interesting thing too, because like his dad, I guess, right, saw the UFO on his birthday, which was January eighth, seeing a what a bluish UFO kind of hovering over the house, which is pretty wild. The night Elvis was born in a two-room shack, January eighth, nineteen thirty-five. His father, Vernon. By the way, first of all, uh, Gladys, uh, his mother, gave. Oh, it wasn't Gladys. I forget her name. Um, what's Elvis's mother's name? We should know that. Um, she gave birth to a stillborn brother first. Gladys. Thank you, Gladys. I was right. And and then Elvis was born after that. And they didn't know back then. She thought maybe she was going to have another one, but there's like, Vern, there's another kid here. One is born dead. The father swore that there was a blue light, a strange, mysterious blue light that enveloped the house when Elvis was born. The doctor swore to it, too. Hmm. He said he saw it. It descended upon the house as if from above, a strange blue light. Um, And I thought it was incredible, just the fact that, like, how could a poor boy... I mean, they were poorer than poor, even in rural Memphis at the time, you know. Um, How does a kid that poor, dirt poor, become... Get the stage presence. Get the right. electricity. Yeah, There's something say. about Elvis. And it almost is, by definition, 
superhuman. Even if you mm. don't believe in the paranormal, it's it's better than most of the, us. The you know voice, I mean? his yeah. moves, his looks, yeah. uh, all that. Everything. And was, what's what's interesting right now, playing Hound Dog. Right? Yes. And we're just talking about mm. the Hellhounds. Holy shit, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're playing the song, David, because I accidentally, well, it wasn't really an accident, in preparation for interviewing Tony Arkin, uh, because of his situation, he's in a play right now in New York City. He couldn't call us during the recording of this. Right. So I pre-recorded an interview with him, and I used a software app where you can record your phone calls. So practicing for that interview, I was talking to my dad. I said, Dad, I'm just going to tape you for a second here and work on something. And he goes, what are you talking about in your podcast? And I said, well, Elvis. And I just didn't get into the nitty-gritty. But yeah. he started talking Elvis. Oh. And so here's five minutes of my father. And I, th I thought this would be very illustrative of someone who lived through not just us talking about the right. power of Elvis but my dad describes in this clip you'll hear it that his life was fundamentally changed from the moment the first moment he heard the strains of that song we were just playing his life changed everyone in his town's life changed and you'll hear the true power of Elvis Presley as told by my father I can remember in 1956 I was 12 years old and to set the stage back in those days, everybody went to the ball fields every uh, every week during the school vacation. This was during the summer of uh, 40, 56. and mm -hmm. you had to get there early. You had to get there early enough to play, play baseball in the morning. So that meant there was eighteen kids in line and a couple waiting. If you can believe that in today's world, nothing organized. Just showed up and played, and then they played basketball all afternoon. So it's interesting. I was playing at 12, and most of the kids that I played with are 15 and 16, but never thought about the age differences. I always try to compete at their level. This one summer day, uh, this young this kid came in. He's probably 16. He brought an old RCA portable 45 record player, and uh, I think it required those D batteries. But I remember plugging. I remember playing the music on the uh, concrete uh, basketball uh, court. And it was a song that he played was uh, Hound Dog. You're nothing but a hound dog. The basketball game stopped, and the girls were on the other side of the uh, playground that were doing whatever they're going to do, and came over, and all of a sudden my buddies that I'm playing basketball with started dancing. And I said, whoa, what wow. are you doing? we got to play basketball. And that's when I realized a couple of things, how important Elvis was, uh, because he stopped kids playing basketball. And secondly, I found out what the difference was between 12 and 16 because I didn't care about the girls dancing. All I wanted to do was play basketball. He just captivated the entire country. But, uh, yeah, the world stopped when Elvis uh, came on the scene and when he sang. And uh, he affected just so many parties, dances that you'd go to uh, from 57 to 60. I mean, it was Elvis. Elvis uh, was the king, and he, he changed the way I'd say kids thought about music. Certainly me. I mean, I didn't even care about music until his songs started coming out, and then, of course, uh, the rest is history. I remember you saying something about that, like, it also, after that day that Hound Dog was played, that the divisions between the kids seemed to kind of melt away, like the greasers versus the jocks. Everyone was into Elvis. That's absolutely true. Matter of fact, back then there was what's called gang fights where people would actually, you know, you, you, if you remember the movie, I forget the name of it now, but it was uh, where they had a gang fight. West Side Story. Oh, West Side Story, yeah, 50, yeah. 
back back in the fifties, that was real. I actually saw a gang fight with the uh, what I'd call the tough kids that had the black leather jackets. Uh, yeah, it melded that that kind of group between the black leather jacket and the in quotes, you know, kids with crew cuts like I was. It was gang kind of thought process, but Elvis and music changed that during the time that you were uh, playing sports and while you were at parties. So it was kind of wow. it was interesting. When you first heard the strains of Hound Dog, like you didn't care about music, like can you think about what it brought up in you? Like what did you think when you first heard Hound Dog like coming out of that little portable record player? I played sports my whole life. The music was not even a part of my life. Now, you know, back in those days, the songs, if you ever look at the movies, the songs in the early 50s, it was Dara's Day and Sinatra right. and all this kind of old stuff. All of a sudden, Hound Dog to me was like, you know, I, I just, it just was, uh, it was terrific. Plus, I mean, the guy was phenomenal. I mean, he looked great. I mean, those early pictures yeah. of him, pure, pure, raw energy. If you could kind of put your finger on what it was, like what was it about Elvis that made him so special that changed so many lives? And my thing about Elvis was every song he sang had a, uh, had a nice melody to it. His voice was, his range was great. The music, I can't, you know, back then you couldn't listen to an Elvis song without tapping your, uh, your, your, your foot. And the other thing that I thought about Elvis as I get older, that the women loved him, okay? But the men loved him too. So the guys were in love with him too. <laughs> not not in a sexual, yeah. but they just loved him. Yeah. There was no yeah. uh, there was no jealousy. Everybody loved Elvis. And my one regret is I never get to see him live in Vegas. I just missed him a couple of times. But yeah, yeah he changed. He he, uh, I, he he to me was the uh, most special uh, entertainer certainly in my lifetime. And I'm seventy six now, seventy five. Yeah, so awesome. you know, I hear right. I hear Sinatra, I hear the Beatles, Sinatra yeah. to me. I mean, Elvis was the uh, number one celebrity in my life. Nobody had ever seen anything or heard anything like this before. And isn't that an incredible story that my dad tells of, like, in the 50s, you know, those divides between jocks and greasers or whatever was was real, as he says, and, and they were severe. And Elvis, he said the day that he they all heard that, it all changed. Like it blurred all those lines. Blurred all the lines. There was no more lines. It was we were Elvis fans. The greasers were hanging with the jocks. The jocks were hanging out with the students. The girls were hanging out with the boys. There was no more lines. And then what's amazing is people don't understand that music to have such a power that you have to understand the time that it came out of because you're like why is this this guy so big but when you have that setting that contrast then you really see why that music stood out so if there is a if he was if that blue light was real if if he was sent here or if he was a hybrid or if he was given special powers by our angel overlords or aliens whatever you want to call them yeah his was very positive. He was definitely a messenger of some yes, sort. Yes, it, it broke down a lot of barriers. Mm -hmm. And how many people have we heard, Ronnie, who's who have given us years of music and years of enjoyment and years of love and entertainment? Did so because they saw Elvis, right? Yeah. And and I'll tell you, one of them was the Beatles. And how many how much joy did the Beatles give generations, including my son now, mm -hmm. fifty years later? So it does make sense if aliens wanted to impart some sort of joy to us, right? 
or messages, they've they've done the hell of a yeah. job Music, by using these people. Music's that language. Yeah. The uh, now the Beatles paranormal connection is also significant because John Lennon uh said when asked about the Beatles, and everyone took it as a joke at the time, how did you come up with the name of the Beatles? It was your band. He said, well, a, a flaming pie. I had a vision of a flaming pie, and a little man came off the flaming pie and told me to call it the Beatles, B-E-A-T-L-E-S. He said he was basically told by a little man coming out of a flaming pie to call it the Beatles, which, ha, 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 John's being wacky. Right. Well, Sounds maybe like not. Alien to me. <laughs> because John Lennon saw a UFO in New York City. This has been well documented. He talked about it. He even put it in one of his songs, and I referenced that in our little um, Instagram and, and, and Twitter mm. you know, tease. There's a song called Nobody Told Me There'd Be Days Like These, and he says there's UFOs over New York, and I ain't too surprised. Now, him and, him and his girlfriend at the time, May Pang, uh, saw this, I think it's May Pang, saw this UFO, and he said it was hovering lower than the tallest building. So it was about eye level at the top of his Dakota building. Here we go. This is it. Thank you, David. He sees this thing, and when May Pang told the story about it, she basically describes the Oz effect. She said the city seemed to kind of, it was like there were only two of us. It was a busy day. It was broad daylight. She said, but everything seemed to stand still, and they almost described it as missing time. Mm. And and he said when it, when it took off, he started yelling after it, saying, no, take me with you. Take me with you. I want to go with you. Isn't that incredible? And then 99, Paul McCartney puts out an album called Flaming Pie. And the album artwork shows a little flying saucer, basically. Mm. How many people have the Beatles affected? Right. You know what I mean? Millions. So is it it that these entities are choosing these people? Or is it these people's gifts makes them open to these entities? I, I feel like they're choosing them because these people then go on to influence hundreds of other musicians. So these are very... And millions of people around right, the world. Right, For so generations. Just, yeah, and it keeps on going on for years and years. And he actually called a radio show and talked about it mm. in New York City about his sighting. I mean, it's well documented. I think this is it here. Well, it's probably the next verse, of course. <laughs> so close, man. <laughs> so close. Yeah. It's the next I verse. I didn't know it either. But yeah, um, so there's that. Um, then you've got bands. It, it goes on and on. We're just, by the way, we're cherry picking yeah. like the biggest ones and the best stories. Right. We have to bring up the Moody Blues brought up by our guest Grant Cameron. We're yeah. going to hear from Season him in one. a minute. Uh, former guest Grant Cameron. I didn't even know about this till he brought it up, but the Moody Blues, huge band, um, kind of a, the first probably, maybe the first prog rock band, if you will. They took kind of classical music sounds right. and they infused it into rock. Well, they um, said they had a mass sighting together as a band and basically admitted to being possibly abducted as a band. Right. Missing time, three hours. It's unbelievable. Um, Let's see. I I have a quote here. Uh, here, Here's here's one of the band members talking about the sighting. I think it's the drummer, uh, Graham Edge. At first, I was convinced it was an aircraft. However, it acted, how British is this? It <laughs> acted most peculiarly. <laughs> what was really strange was that when this thing passed nearby, there was no traffic on the road in either direction. And there were none of the usual nocturnal animal or bird noises. Again, the, the Oz, Oz effect. effect. Yep, straight up. They, uh, the upper half of the object appeared metallic, whereas the lower half was red and pulsated from left to right. 
Uh, they boarded the craft. It just goes on and on and on. Missing time. Yeah. And so they actually wrote a song about... So what you're going to hear is this song by the Moody Blues. Um, and you're going to hear him reference the being that guided them. He says he's got blue eyes and he tells them these secrets. And uh, I believe it's called stepping into a slide zone. And this basically, we'll listen to about 30 seconds or a minute of this. This basically details their alien abduction as a band. He went to find a shooting star around the bend. That's where they are. I went along just for the ride. Suddenly I began to spy. Standing in a slide zone. I could be stepping through a time zone. The air raced by there was no sound. Stepping through a time zone. Another I guess dimension. Apparently, uh, apparently, one of the side effects of being abducted is sh- making shitty music. And <laughs> <laughs> a shitty video, by the way. Oh my god! Uh, All right, that's not their best work. What do you? What do you <laughs> Holy synthesizer! Uh, yeah, and, and we're sitting here watching the video. It's one of those reverse <laughs> color. Thi- what do you? What do you even call that? I don't know. I don't know. You've got their floating heads going by. It's like a parody video. Like yeah. Speaking about the synthesizer, right. the keyboardist was was talking about. He was sitting in the back of the bus. I was assuming like with his head down and he noticed mm. this red ball of light following the bus. Mm. And so they all get out of the vehicle and they watch this light come closer to them and it changed into like a square, a red square, mm. then changed into that that craft that you mentioned earlier, but then there was a blue glow around it. Wow. That ties back blue. to the blue Elvis. with Elvis. Yep. And you get the moody blues too, which is yep. just pretty pretty crazy. Let me read those lyrics that we just heard just so you get a context of it. Uh the air raced by, there was no sound. Ospect again. We drifted high above the ground, and then he said, you know this place, and then a smile lit up his face, standing in a slide zone. I turned my head and I looked below, and there was something there I know. Suddenly I began to fall. I looked around and tried to call. Help me, please, I thought I said. Then something happened in my head. Music came from all around, and I know what I had found. I was stepping through a time. I was falling through a time zone. Hmm. So unbelievable. Um, another example. Now, these things just keep coming and coming. We have a more modern version. Yeah. Uh, we'll step up kind of into more modern times. Uh, we can name like Chris Martin, who Grant talks about. Cold Chris play. Martin. Yep. Oh, and by the way, back to John Lennon. John Lennon talked with Harry Nielsen all the time about automatic writing. They believed these lyrics were coming to them. From somewhere else. Now, sometimes you'll hear artists say things like that. Musicians, they'll say like, "I don't know." There's a there's a grand song playing in the universe, and I'm just tuning into the lyrics that are already right. there. The music, <clears throat> but these guys meant it literally. Like they meant they were getting guided and given we're, those words. Like, exactly, yeah. we're being given these lyrics. Um, so, Ronnie, you have an example of a of a more kind of modern rocker, right? Yes, yeah, Sammy Hagar. Um, I who, don't know a lot about his experience, Sammy. So he uh, from Van Halen, lead singer, and he talks about these aliens called the nine and he talks a little bit about this 
sequence where he woke up, felt like he was dreaming, and felt like there was doing some kind of a download. Either they were uploading or downloading from him. Wow. And here's a little clip. I'm dreaming. I see these guys in my head. I see these. What they guys. look like? They were just kind of the, the uh, like a, a beams of light, you know, and they were kind of blue. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, with no features. There's the blue it was Okay, pause up, it for a sec. You know, pause it, it for a sec. Now, okay, I like Dr. Drew, but this is the problem with this stuff. You see, Sammy Hagar is like a 70-year-old man at this point. Yeah. And he is very serious about this. You can see it in his face. He's just like, look, I'm going to tell this story. And, and I'm going to tell Dr. And Dr. Drew already has the smirk on his face. He's already Non-verbal, kind mm-hmm, of already mm-hmm, moving. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Beings, Looking at the beings. audience. like, fuck you. <laughs> and... And I'm dreaming, and they're going, oh, he's waking up. We got to end this, right? But there wasn't language spoken. It was just a you know, telepathic thing. And then they hollered out this weird digital uh, numerical code of not of our numerical system. It wasn't like 9, 11, 12, 13, 14. Right. And it went, whoop, <laughs> and it so ended. Crazy. And I felt like there was a cord plugged into my head. But, of course, they were 13 miles away where I knew they, where they were. And I knew the area I was in. It was in my home. It was like one of those dreams when everything was the same. And I, I woke up, and I went, it put me on a quest to say, what was that? That was so real. So I think it was a download and upload situation, like an experimental thing, like I was some guinea pig. They plug it in. the movie Contact? What's that? The movie Contact? Yeah. Like Jodie Foster. Oh, film. yeah, yeah, Is yeah. that kind of an experience? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer. First of all, doctor, anyone that I, you know, you call me crazy all you want, but anyone that says there's no one in this whole universe where the only life in this whole big giant uni- vast universe, yeah. they're crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree <laughs> that's with you. No, all right, I agree. Drew came I, back. I Drew Manette has come back. But that's amazing. So there you go. Downloaded into his head. Um, there's also a song and, and uh, David, producer David, you'll have to forgive me because I, this is the one thing I neglected to send you for sound. But there's a song called Message, Messages from the Dome by a guy named Merrill Fankhauser. Oh, yes. So basically what this is is in Malibu, California. Um, now, Mer- Merrill Fankhauser... I can't never say his name. Fankhauser was a successful like surf musician in California scene. And... They started getting sound, um, these weird sounds from Malibu underground, where a lot of like kind of USO activity was being mm. talked about and stuff. And they couldn't figure out what these things were. And so a lot of people believe that these were, you know, kind of like those sounds we get from space. We just don't know what they are. Right. Like radio signals. Correct. Yeah. People believe that these sounds were alien. And so. Merrill took these signals, these sounds, and made a song out of them. Messages from the Dome. Hmm. And when you're going to hear it now, underneath the music, when those sounds you hear are supposedly that, those frequencies, alien wow. sounds. Now, when they played this at a radio station, actually one in Boston, believe it or not, it broke all the analog boards. Wow. If it was a, if it wasn't like a digital board, I might have that background. Maybe it was a digital board that was breaking, but I think it was back then. It was analog, but it would break the boards. Jeez. And this is proven. This isn't like wives' tale. This is, it, it broke boards at radio stations. Let's listen to this. You actually could be listening to actual alien messages.
yes, uh, they saw he, he saw a UFO as others did, um, and that kind of changed his life. And so then he made this song based hmm. on and and I think Grant Cameron's actually interviewed him and featured him probably in the book. So again, another example. Why don't we Why don't we play a little bit of Grant Cameron? Yeah, because he's the expert on this whole topic in terms of rock and roll and and, and musicians music, yeah. and 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 the connection. So we had him on. You can check it out. It's episode one hundred six. But uh, here, here's what Grant had to say about this whole topic. Sure, sure. Yeah, you you uh, done a lot of research too with musicians and their connection yeah. to uh, UFOs and, and abductions, but also getting songs and talk about the the Moody Blues. Um, why do you think that is? I think you talked a little bit about like the right hemisphere and and yeah. uh, musicians, but if you can talk and elaborate about that a little bit. Yeah, if you look at uh, the research was done by uh, Robert Le uh, Roger Lear, who did the 17 implant removals. Yep. Yeah. Um, he, he stated, he was asked, what's common between all the people who you took implants out of? He said, number one, they're all right-brain creative people, which defines musicians. And right number brain. two, all implants are on the left side of the body. And the reason I say the implants are on the left side of the body is they're going after the right brain. The left brain is your rational analytical brain that says, ah, oh, that wasn't a UFO. That's, you're just imagining that. I'm not hypnotized. That's garbage. You know, it's, it's a little voice that keeps talking, the little skeptical, you're an idiot, you don't know what you're talking, you know, that sort of thing. If you can quiet that, which a musician can, you can quiet it, whether it's through psychedelics, through meditation, through however they do it, you can, the right brain is what interacts with the cosmic universe hmm. and so that's why the implants are on the left side of the body because the right brain runs the left side of the body and the, the the vice versa so they're interested in the right brain they're not really interested in our left rational analytical brain and you can actually see that when they do the fear tests like you'll see aliens doing fear tests aliens really don't have any fear if you look at Jill Bolte Taylor who is a, a neuroanatomist at Harvard University has a brain hemorrhage she said when her left brain shut down for eight weeks, there was absolutely no fear in her in her in her hmm. mind. It did not exist, and you can see with aliens, they're doing these things with fear. They're they're testing the right brain, left brain thing. So that's what musicians are. They're they're able to disassociate, which is what 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 mediums do, what psychics do, what uh, meditation does. Is you're able to dissociate, shut down the rational ego mind, and disassociate tap in and you can tap into that thing so they're pulling these songs back the same as i wrote a book called inspired where i do uh, i think 13 nobel prizes that came the same way they, they didn't rationalize it just popped into their head huh. or artists or uh, all these sort of things it's the ability to shut down the left brain go into the into the field and pull back whatever it is that's why it's so important that 40% uh, of all experiencers say at one point during their experience they knew the answer to everything in the universe that's higher self that's in, in mystical uh, literature higher self all the answers are there it's the ability to to get out of the physical mind go there get the information and pull it back almost like Edgar Casey the famous psychic so there we have what could be Ronnie the first you know scientific reason maybe why these artists are targeted by aliens or or maybe they're just 
made by aliens and a hybrid thing. Right. Is, is, yeah. And I always mistakenly, I always make that mistake. The, the implants are on the left side. That's why I always say left brain, but it's the right brain creative, and, of and course. I'm lefty. I'm I used to draw, sing back in the day. Yeah. And, uh, now I know I got to find the implants on my left side. Right. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> good to know. And I, I, I apologize, monsters. I always make that mistake. I always say left brain because I'm thinking of the implants on the left side, but it's the right creative brain right. that these people have. And it's so funny, Ronnie, like I know so many musicians and the really brilliant ones, they all remind me of each other. Like mm. there's a look in their eye. Mm. Like I'm thinking of this friend I have named Andy and he looks nothing like Michael Devon. But they, they have that same spirit. Oh my God, they remind me of each other so much. There's a look in their eye. There's the way they talk, the way they move, the way they communicate. Uh, I see it in Steven Tyler. Like just that brilliant musicianship that that they, their minds just work differently, but they work the same because you can, right. you they're, can they, they're, they're just alike. They're at that same frequency, yes. right? So they're yes. getting picked up. I think it, with UFOs and everything, they can zone in on who's the right ones that are into our signal and those are the mart you know artists and musicians that do it well perfect segue let's let an actual rock star have the final say on the music paranormal connection the artist alien connection uh, Michael Devin we've mentioned him before if you're a listener to this podcast he gave us the song Monsterland you hear it at the beginning of this podcast every week and at the end of this podcast every week he is a virtuoso musician an incredible guitar player, an incredible vocalist, and an incredible guy. And he is an absolute believer and experiencer. We were able to grab him in New York City. He's standing on a fire escape in New York City, so <laughs> forgive any ambulance sounds or whatever. Uh, while touring with Whitesnake, he is the touring musician and, and member of Whitesnake with David Coverdale. And he was gracious enough to give us a few minutes of his time and have him weigh in on this rock star alien connection. Here's the great Michael Devon. Our next guest is a virtuoso bass player and singer, formerly of Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin Experience, currently slaps the bass and backs the vocals of Mr. Coverdale for the legendary White Snake. He released an incredible solo effort in 2018 called From the Earth, a masterpiece of light and dark that features a little ditty called Monsterland. Friend of show, Snake of White, bend the knee, for he is the breaker of musical <laughs> chains. From the land of monsters, our friend Michael Devon. Yeah! <laughs> what an intro. <laughs> what an intro. Wow, man. Thank you very much for that introduction. I kind of... Well, you you deserve it, man. We we we've thanked you on this podcast a million times for the for the use of the song, but now we've got you as a guest, so we wanted to just thank you in person, as it were, or at least via the magic of microphones. <laughs> yeah, dude. Of course, man. I'm happy and uh, to to uh, have provided that because it was a very serendipitous uh, moment for us, man. I wrote it, and you guys were talking about it, and it all kind of came together at the same time, man. Yeah. The very wonderful bridge that took place there. <laughs> so the theme of this episode, Michael, as you know, is the connection that seems yep. to be so strong between artists like yourself and the paranormal. But before we get into okay. that, talk about uh -huh. how music came into your life. And let's just start there. Uh, music came into my life. Um, I guess it's always been there. I, I don't remember my life without music. Um, 
honestly, and uh, radio, you know, popular FM radio in the family car. My father had a uh, an impressive um, vinyl LP collection, 8-track cassette collection, all that, and he had a ton of stuff in there. Um, and I uh, have older sisters who, uh, who are into uh, music. Uh, family members played instruments, things like that. Music has always been a part of my life. But it wasn't until, I suppose, I... I hit about uh, fifth grade. I guess that is my earliest memory of, of it, uh, where it was having more of an impact on uh, on uh, my personality, you know? Mm. Um, uh, fifth grade, yeah. I guess it was around um, the time of, um, oh gosh, Def Leppard's Pyromania. I remember that being a big thing for me. Like 1983, 84 was a, a big time for me. I was about nine years old. And that's when um, Van Halen, uh, Def Leppard, ACDC, um, those uh, those bands, uh, Ozzy, you know, those bands were uh, were really speaking to me at the time. The hard rock. Uh, I loved the energy of it. Uh, I had a lot of energy as a kid, and mm. um, and I could relate to it. I could relate to that uh, that attitude, you know. Yeah, well, that was a, such a magic time for music. I was just telling oh, my yeah. son the other day, driving in the car, like I always play him, like that summer of like, I remember the summer of like 85. You had like Springsteen, Prince, Madonna. It was just like yeah. uh, Huey Lewis. It just like the pop kept coming at us. We didn't know, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. 1985 was a pretty big year. 84, like through 84. basically like 83 through like 89 even there was uh, a lot of good music and people were still taking chances I mean obviously 1980 was a massive year with the, the new wave of British heavy metal coming into the fold and a lot of important records came out in that year and it kind of kind of kicked off what would be the next decade you know um, before um, grunge came in which I loved and appreciated uh, uh, those bands, whatever right. whatever grunge means, I don't know. Those heavy acts, <laughs> I, I I dug it, you know, because I was more about the heavier stuff, or at least the the stuff with the more uh, that kind of embodied a, a hard rock attitude, as opposed to a how would you say it? I don't know, like a little bit more of a um, of a uh, manicured uh, uh, identity uh, image than the than the music. You know what I'm saying, like. The, the the late eighties got more about um, what you were wearing and how your yeah, hair right. and all that. <clears throat> so like while I was listening to sports, Huey Lewis, you were listening to Motorhead. <laughs> Actually, I love uh, the sports album. It's a great record. All right, Dude, so Heart, Heart and Soul is a great is a great song. Heart and Soul, damn right it that. is. Um, so if if you don't remember a time without music, do mm. you remember a time in your life when you first? experienced anything that might be defined as paranormal? Yes, I do. I absolutely remember. Um, I was probably, oh, I don't know, maybe four years old, I suppose, somewhere in there. I was very little, and I had a terrible fever. And um, I remember I was being very, I was very sick, uh, but all I remember is something about, um, I was seeing a circus, above my head going on and it was Whoa. funny and, and uh, there were some clowns and some dancing elephants and those things you would see like a big top uh, and I'd never been to the circus I still haven't been to a circus but hmm. um, 
I asked my mom uh, if we were going to the circus, uh, and she had no idea what I was talking about. I think it probably freaked her out, but it was very vivid. Um, and I still consider that moment uh, as more of a, a paranormal. You know, these lines get blurred to me the more I learn about my own spirituality. I don't, you know, paranormal, extraterrestrial, uh, all these things are all one and the same, really. Right. No, it's mm, all just labels. Yeah. We can't, we can't see and touch. It's the intangibles, you know. But I remember those things happening very vividly when I was a kid. I had funny dreams as a kid, too, which I consider to be somewhat paranormal. I used to dream of in shapes and colors a lot, uh, which is strange. Mm. Um, but, but that went away uh, as I as I aged, but I used to look really forward to going to bed at night when I was a kid. Cause when I would close my eyes, I would, I'd get this amazing light show of, um, of shapes and, and colors that were always kind of changing and morphing. Uh, and I had, um, I know this all sounds crazy, but it's no, true. no, it doesn't. I had, I had the same thing, Mike, growing up with, um, uh, laying in bed and kind of seeing this, the scene and almost calling out red and it would change, mm-hmm. it would change the whole, like, visual would be in a tint of red or I'd say blue and it would change the blue mm-hmm. or I'd see the small ball of orange flame hovering by my mm-hmm. right, uh, right in my head and floating by. And every time I look over, it would disappear hmm. and, and things almost the similar to you, like very like feverish kind of as how my mother would explain it. Oh, you had a fever. Yeah. I, I told <laughs> on this podcast, Michael, a story about uh, an out of body experience. I had very little, uh, sick, sick in bed. I had a high fever again. I had some sort of bronchial infection in my lungs. It was like a felt like a ball rattling around in my chest. I was very sick. I was probably nine or ten, and I was up by as I remember it. You know, like the white stucco plaster grooves you can see in your ceiling, like on your of your room. I was no, I was nose to nose with it. And then, and like, kind of pulling up body. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, kind of like looking down on myself. And it, I, I'll always remember that. So, no, it does, not only does it not sound crazy, too, that's exactly what this episode is about. Is like people like yourself who have this type of, you know, the whole left brain, right brain thing, the creative right. force that you have in you. It, there seems to be some sort of wall that is less prohibitive for you than it is for a lot of other type of people. Like, let me ask you this specifically. Like, when you write an album, like you did from the earth. Um, you know, we've chronicled on this very episode, all the quotes of musicians who have said, it just comes from somewhere. I don't know where it comes from. It comes from above. It comes from somewhere. Do you have that experience in your writing or is it more, you know, hard work for you? Well, I think that the, um, the seed, if you will, of, of the idea certainly comes from inspiration. And I certainly consider inspiration to be, uh, something, uh, whether you want to call it spiritual or metaphysical, paranormal or otherwise, it, it's certainly uh, an intangible event that occurs. There's a downloading that takes place, um, you know, from the from the ethers up above, where up above, down below, I'm not really sure, but from somewhere out there in the energetic fields, you know, we're downloading these things yeah. uh called songs or movies or books, any piece of art, really. Right. Um, I still believe is a, is a, a gift from the divine. It's, it's, uh, it's a, you know, I, I guess I'll keep the language simple. It's like the heaven way of expressing itself, you know, through, through humankind. 
it's a reminder that we are way more than what we think we are and what we perceive ourselves to be. Mm. But you can't really stuff that notion down anybody's throat. I don't. I'm very quiet about these things because I choose to live my life the way I perceive it without anybody judging it or um, trying to convince me that what I experience is, is just some sort of imagination. I don't believe that to be true at all. I work quite hard on my uh, on my uh, spiritual self and my... And my uh, light body, if you will, all of the energetic, uh, all, the, all the systems at play that are, um, that are beyond, uh, you know, bone and uh, nerves and uh, blood and, and uh, what have you. Um, I'm talking about, yes, the, the chakric uh, right. system. That's, um, as, yeah, you know, uh, and your chi, one's, one's chi, mm-hmm. you know, I, I spent a lot of time um, uh, contemplating these things. And as a result, you know, it's like anything, man. You know, the more you, the more you do something, like meditate, let's say, you know, the more you go inward, it's going to affect what you're perceiving outwardly. And uh, that's exclusively, um, you know, individualized in a sense where it's like, I, I can't tell you how I view life because I'm, I can, but it may not make any sense to you because I'm having a singular experience like we all are. There is a collective consciousness, right? There is a collective we all agree upon, like Plato says, you know, we all agree upon what a chair looks like, but, right. but um, you know, that doesn't mean that, that, it's, um, that we are static, you know, we can elevate above all of that, you know. I right. hope that we do one day, honestly, is that we can raise our frequency because really we are vibrating little particles and, and you know, subatomically, the further down you go into, into looking at what we are, the the more, more space. It, <laughs> there really is nothing to us. You yeah. get far down. What is inside of a subatomic particle? It's like mist. It's an event is what it is. It's something that is fleeting. It doesn't last long. Um, it's an event, uh, like everything. So you ask yourself, well, then how the hell am I standing on metal right now talking to you on a phone? Because we've all agreed to it, you know, collectively. Right. This is where we are. So. What I am trying to do with my life and with my music and my art and everything is is uh, marry all of that, you know, and, and lead from that perspective because I don't believe in, in what's happening in our world now, or at least in this country. I don't want to um, have, you know, I don't want to be a man of title. That doesn't impress me as much as being a man of spirit. Mm, right. You know? mm, I was going to say. Man, lo- mm, love is love. as paranormal as, as any ghost I've ever encountered. You know, it's, it's the truth. It's powerful stuff. Man. You, you've Love. been on a spiritual path for a long time, Mike. And I know, like, there's some different things that you've talked to me about. Um, and one of the interesting things that you have coming up for your birthday, actually, is you're going to be going to East Seti Ranch. And can you talk yeah. about that? And, like, I think that's amazing. We had James on as a guest. And um, the place, and you talk about energy. And you talk about, you know, really ascending. Kind of, you're focusing on the spiritual progress as opposed to the material of trying to, you know, gain things and be, you know, you're learning more about the spiritual side of stuff. Can you talk a little bit about what's kind of drawn you to East SETI and, and, and what your plans are for that? Well, um, I have a break on the White Snake tour, um, and it is a really convenient time to, to go. It happens to fall on my birthday, which is going to be really cool. Uh, and um, James... Um, I've read his books and um, I've, I've learned a lot about him and he's a very kind, honest man um, who, um, to me, he's on the level and oh, yeah. he doesn't, 
he's not preoccupied with with selling you any of these ideas or trying to make money on any of these ideas. He's he's an open book. He's an open source. And uh, I really love his uh, life philosophies. I also think that what's going on uh, uh, up on the ranch is uh, completely fantastical. I mean, I can't, oh. I, <clears throat> you know. It's like Disneyland um, for... <laughs> For this, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's. I also think that, um, like uh, these other things in your life, that uh, it, the more you focus on, you know, uh, your spiritual self, um, the, the the more uh, opportunities arise that that help you grow. Because I think that the universe wanting this, you know, it's it is for us to grow mm-hmm. um, and to become more of of uh, more compassionate, more forgiving, more loving, more understanding. Um, and I think that Yosemite Ranch um, is providing the, a safe haven for people who want to explore uh, such possibilities in a quiet way um, and, and maybe even have a, a life-altering experience in terms of their spiritual path, if they're so lucky. Um, because, you know, as well as I, when you see something with the naked eye, it's very difficult to unsee it. And sometimes... You can get, uh, you can turn around someone who was at one time a very close-minded individual when it came to anything supernatural. Uh, suddenly they have a belief system that is um, more aligned with those who are kind of already on that path. And I'm all about that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I think patience is a big, big key to growth uh, spiritually and especially with those around us because we are not all, we may all be created equal in, in, in the in the physical sense, but not spiritually. I think we're all on a different, you know, path. And some yeah, of us are a little timing. further down the road than others. It's mm-hmm. not a judgment. It's just a fact. And it's the responsibility of those who are further down the road to um, hang back sometimes and wait for others to catch up and offer some information and, and, and give some solace because sometimes it gets a little freaky out here, you know, when you're <laughs> dealing with the unknown a lot. And you just yeah. come to accept the unknown. You know, I don't, I, I'm not freaked out by... Uh, paranormal events. I'm not freaked out but, by um, yeah. anything that seems to be, uh, you know, spooky, scary. I, I don't know what that means. Right. You know you, I mean? I, you've kind of gone beyond that, the dichotomy of yeah. good and evil versus well, yeah. evil, right? Like it's, there's yeah. something a little bit kind of bigger going on here. And um, yeah, I think that's what we're kind of. Well, Michael, could you give us an example of, of one or two experiences you have had that might fit into that category? Uh, yeah, I, I can tell you that when I was a young guy, um, I spent a night over at a friend's house. He lived in Lemonster, uh, and he lived on an old, in an old home, and in the back was an old barn, um, and the barn used to be where they would uh, embalm um, the deceased, and then they, because it had this, uh, it had this giant hole in the wall of the barn that was up about to the second floor uh, and I learned that you would um, that the uh, embalmer the coroner would do what he dressed the body and then slide the casket out onto the back of the horse and buggy which was about that high and so it was easy to, to get bodies in and out well um, there was a chief uh, Indian who um, was brought there his or he may have not been brought there. I'm not really sure about that. He may have 
that may have been sacred land. I don't know, but he lived uh, in this um, in this area. And we went up there because we were crazy kids, and we played with <laughs> Ouija boards probably way too much. <laughs> oh man! And, and you know, probably got in a, probably opened some doors, and we shouldn't have. But we went up there, and um, yeah, I saw with my own eyes uh, a chief. I saw a chief, and I saw a headdress. I saw a, 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 an Indian. And, oh my uh, God! An elder. Yeah, an elder. And uh, he looked right at me. He looked right at me. Um, and I didn't run. I was petrified, meaning I, I didn't move. <laughs> but I didn't get scared. I just was in awe. I was in utter, utter awe. And then when we were sleeping, I had a sleepover, um, we looked out the window, me and my friend, and the light in the, in the, in the uh, barn was flickering on and off. And every time it flickered on, I saw the Indian again. Oh, saw the wow. And then the light would go off, and then the light would go on, and I saw him again. And this happened maybe, you know, four or five times. Um, and that was quite a... Uh, that had quite an impression on me, uh, for sure. Um, How could it not? I mean, that's a that's that's a life changer, boy. That, no wonder you went on this path. This, and, and Mike's, yeah, that was my first... Yeah, that was kind of... You know the the uh, the first of it, where I was like, "Wow, this is really real." You know, growing up in Lemister as well, it's a you know Massachusetts, I guess. Right? right. Let me just take New England as a whole. New England has a very rich history, um, and um, a lot of a lot of sacred land out there. You know, and we we built homes on top of it, but that doesn't change what's right. in the soil. The energy, yeah, the right. So, yeah, um, um, Michael. Know, I, I'd like to focus more on uh, you know. Uh, elevating my vibration so if, if I if I sense energies I invite you know I, I like to invite good energies uh, because um, you know the more you interact with uh, that realm uh, the easier it is to access and mm. meditation is a great way of accessing uh, you know alternate realms um, right. if you don't believe me just try it mm, you know it works. get a few years of meditation under your belt and then come talk to me yeah, because right. people want to make opinions but they don't actually have the uh, tools or the faculty to uh, to get there then they really have no business at the table having these kinds of conversations you know right. I'm all about elevating the, the whole human race man honestly I hope that we find ourselves in the, in the decades and, and centuries to come um, moving in the opposite direction that we're moving now you know I like to think that a massive uh, celestial events could shake that, or maybe yeah. weather patterns, maybe just whatever happens. I have no crystal ball, but I, I am not without hope, you know, for the human race, that's for sure, you know. Mm. Michael, um, what do you make of, like, if you had to try to describe it, maybe you think it's all much to do about nothing and it's just a coincidence, but this whole connection that we're trying to investigate in this episode, like the list of musician artists that have had these experiences, the whole left brain, right brain thing, like we said, um, from Elvis to Sammy Hagar to Nick Jonas to whoever creative has these experiences. Um, do you think there's anything to the way your mind works that makes you more susceptible to this stuff? That's a good question. I don't know if it makes it, I'm not sure if you come uh, into this life with these um skills or, or uh, abilities, whatever, whatever they are, or if um, there's something, I mean, in terms of specifically in terms of extraterrestrial visitation, I, I, from what I know and have 
read and researched, I, I feel like that's more of a choosing. It right. seems to me anyway. It's like a filter. People who have these experiences have them repeatedly. And it almost seems like a choosing, and then that human is monitored and kind of watched through their lives as they grow. That's how it, it, what it, how it appears. The soul, me. yeah. Uh, and I've seen and, and read about all of the, the different kinds of um, uh, interactions with extraterrestrials. And as you guys know, there are many, uh, well, there are a few different types, and some are nicer and kinder than others. And, and uh, you know, I suppose that depends on who you interact with the experience you're going to get. Mm. Um, but I, I do think that uh, artists, um, you know, and I don't know why, it, you know, I don't know which came first, uh, whether the artist's uh, mind makes them predisposed to be open to these ideas or if they were already predisposed to these ideas and therefore became artistic. I, I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, I, it seems to me um, that. And I'm talking about artists. I'm not really talking about musicians. Cause it, right. Know, artists I, I in general, yeah. People who see the world as an artist, mm. I think, uh, are more open to these ideas because... Uh, New York City, baby. They're more open to <laughs> that guy needs to meditate. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're, they're more open to the possibilities and the ideas because, uh, you know, A... Their imaginations are, you know, it's a, it's a, a bigger, a stronger imagination, generally speaking. And yeah. B, we deal with emotion. Like, an artist is a well, pretty right. emotional person Look. and sensitive to energies and sensitive to, you know, I'd say that a, a, most artists are somewhat, like, empathic, right? Like, we're picking up on something and then trying to, mm-hmm. trying to synthesize it. Think, think about, though, like... Like a piece of art or a piece of music, you yeah. know. Um, for you to tell me that other... Um, you know, that aliens exist. Uh, okay, sure. Um, that doesn't change where we are in America. It doesn't change where we are as humans. Um, I'd like to see us elevate to the point where they'll come and say hi, maybe, and not be afraid that we're going to shoot them in the face, because <laughs> that's what we will do, dude. Watch every movie. What, what do the <laughs> movies portray? They portray these evil aliens that come down and they're trying to blow up the planet and we, blow, you know, our super military takes them out and we win. Well, what is that? Like, what if they're not that? What if they're peaceful, highly intelligent beings that want to help us and we want to war with them? I wouldn't come down here either, man. I'd yeah, be I think, up I think that's why they're hiding. <laughs> Give it another, you know, few millennia and see where they elevate to. I don't, right. I don't know, but I know that for me as an artist in this time and place, like, um, it's a gift and, and it's important for me to keep open like and, and keep uh, emotionally uh, be emotionally available you know to the world because that's where art comes from it, it's harder these days than it was maybe in the past to be that way because of of the way in which the world is, um, is, is heading in a sense with the way information is passed the way in which people are um, kind of funneled through you know society these days uh um, it's not as free wheeling, I guess, as we once were. Um, and so for the artist, it's a little more difficult to um, be uh, expressive in ways that are unique on, you know, to, to, to you. Uh, like, uh, you know, a Steely Dan, for example. I mean, Donald Fagan, who I, you know, I'm, I'm using it as an example. I'm not a huge yeah. Steely Dan thing, but I can tell you that I think that guy's a genius and 
he found place uh, in FM radio at a time when he could. Would would a Donald Fagan and a Daily Dan exist today? <laughs> yeah, but they'd be in some jazz club down in, That's in right. the East Village. You know what I mean? Like, right. So uh, there has been a change and uh, an openness to what people are willing to accept as art. Um, I think, if, to be pessimistic, I think we're dumbing ourselves down into what we consider to be good music and bad music or... or, or uh, you know, uh, some of the other good movies and bad movies. Labels. You know, um, but uh, I'm still not, I'm still not uh, hopeless. I still believe that uh, we are going to turn that around and that art will always be the voice of people, the voice of humankind, because I think we're all inherently good. I don't walk around in the world thinking that we're all inherently shitty or um, vile or dangerous or violent. I think that's what your television teaches you, so you have to turn off the television. Right. Mm. Throw it out the window, man. Mm-hmm. Shut off that and signal. go out on the street and interact <clears throat> yeah. with people, and you will see when you look them in the eye and you say hi to them, yeah. most people yep. will say hi back. Yep. Um, the, the, you know, it my, sounds simple, but, you know, most people don't know that. They walk around in fear because right. of the news, you know. Yeah, we see the extreme. Michael, I, you're standing on a, a fire escape in New York City on break from tour, and I was 15 years pounding the pavement in New York City, and I always use the example, the analogy of 15 years on the subway and on the Metro North every day of the week, you know, five days a week pretty much. Uh, yep. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people crowded in with trains, platforms, Metro North platforms. I saw maybe one incident of people getting into it or a violent incident, you yeah. know? So yeah, if you know, most people are inherently good or you wouldn't be able to ride the subways. It would be just a, a melee every moment. That's exactly true. And I think most people are also inherently democratic. If you want to use that word, meaning they want to do good for the group. You know, if right. we are inclined to do that, we yes. are inclined to, um, to gather together and, uh, and uh, help one another in, in times of the tragedy. As I tell you this, as I'm staring at where the Twin Towers used to be, you know, mm. like, it's the truth. We come together. We yeah. don't we don't separate. Um, and it should show you that you're being programmed. Right. We're, we're programmed from the time we leave the womb. Uh, and it's a very, very thin gossamer between the living and the non-living. You know, you are a spiritual being. You are, you are eternal. I do believe that. Yeah, that's you your true eternal. essence. Yeah. God is a great mystery. Um, and there are many levels between us and God, and uh, you know, in the in the cosmic realm. You know, uh, there's a lot of exploring to do. I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? And uh, the the more open one is emotionally, the more relaxed one is in the world, uh, the the better time you're going to have. You know, don't take it so seriously because you're gonna you're gonna leave the mortal coil, right? And you're gonna <laughs> go off, and whatever you believe is gonna happen is gonna happen. So have good thoughts, think good thoughts, love, you know, love your brother, love your sister, love mankind. It's, it's a hippie ideal, but it's true because love is powerful and it's not easy to do, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and it's paranormal and it's, it's, uh, it's supernatural in itself because it's incredibly healing energy. You know, you talk about miracles. I think miracles are entirely a supernatural paranormal events that take place, you know, and, and yeah, they happen. There, there's countless, countless uh, uh, events that have been well documented that'll show you things that you don't that, that don't make sense to the to the eye. They're like, wait, how did that just happen? Mm-hmm. 
um, people recovering, all kinds, you know, I mean, you, the list goes on in terms of what you thought was going to happen, the opposite happened, and good for, you know, for the better. Uh, I think that all comes from love, because God is love. Right. I don't care God what is love. God yep. believes in, it doesn't matter to me, pick one, you know. Right. Uh, but do yourself a favor and just try to pick one, you know, um, because if you want to meet an alien, honestly, if you feel like that you want to interact with an extraterrestrial, the only one that you're going to want to interact with is the kind one, the nice one. And the only way that's going to happen is if you, is if you elevate and uh, you start vibrating at higher frequencies and you stop doing the things that keep your vibration low, like watching TV, like eating shitty food, like eating kill, like uh, behaving in ways that, that, uh, that makes no sense and you're not paying any attention. You're just doing it because somebody told you to do it or you were programmed to do it. You know, break the programs. Once you start abandoning the programs and you start seeing the world for what it is and you realize that, okay, so to be, quote, unquote, insane in this world is actually the first step to uh, mental clarity and acuity and mm. spiritual cleansing. Once you accept that, um, life starts to become a serious adventure, man. And uh, I'm on a great adventure. I, I'm, I'm loving my life right now. I have music in my life. I have friends. I have love. Uh, I want to keep doing it, you know what I mean? I don't have any huge ambitions of selling a million records and, uh, you know what I mean? I, I want to spread music because it's a powerful, powerful energy and, uh, and I love to do it. People love to come watch it, you know? We do. We just love an event and they're becoming scarce. Uh, venues and clubs are drying up and you know, and all that boo-hoo-hoo, but it's true, man, you know. Um, so I've been lucky enough to have been chosen to play in this arena, and I want to make the most of it and uh, and just bring out some good good music for peeps, you know, and maybe try to enlighten them at the same time in a very subtle way. I don't want to preach. I don't have any intention of doing that, you know what I mean? Uh, I just I like rock music. It happens to be the thing that... Um, allows me to express yeah. myself, you know? That's your vehicle. Uh, and at the same time, I, I get to explore all of these wonderful, mysterious realms that I'm so captivated by. Uh, the spiritual, the, the metaphysical, the paranormal, uh, the extraterrestrial. They're all one in the same. You guys know that. Mm -hmm. right. I don't tell you. You don't know anything. I don't. So, so. Um, I, but I am looking really forward to meeting James and uh, spending some time. I mean, it's a, I, apparently, it's a very powerfully... Uh, a healing uh, place to be. So, well, you know, it's going to be really amazing. Cool. Yeah, will I you please uh, report back afterward? Here. We'd love to have you on and, and have you report back oh, on your yeah, experience afterwards. Dude, I totally will, man. I, I absolutely will. All right, you great. guys will have back on. I'll of completely course. let you know. Hells yeah. Of course, you're the theme song, Michael, of course. <laughs> and and <laughs> speaking <laughs> of you... Um, performing your your gift for us fans uh, as we record this. You're coming to town here in yeah. Boston soon, right? Friday night, Woo! Hampton Beach yeah. Ballroom Casino. Uh, yes, I will be at the um, yeah in Rhode Island and uh, Hampton Beach. We'll be up in New Hampshire doing the Hampton thing. You guys are coming to that one, right? Friday night, I'll be there, baby. I live in Rhode right Island, on. Michael. I got no excuse not to be at the Rhode Island one, at least. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's at Michael E. Devon on social media. Uh, Michael, you're as eloquent and intelligent as you are talented on stage. Uh, we thank you so much for taking time out while you're on tour to just check in with us. And uh, again, thank you for the music and, and thank you for your thoughts. 
Man, thank you. Thanks for having me on, man. And uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate all you guys are doing, man. Keep it going. You know what I mean? Grow and spread the word. You know? Thanks, Mike. And uh, we will, I'll check back in with you guys uh, sometime uh, maybe in August when. uh, That would be incredible. I'm heading out there on the weekend of the 27th. So anything after that, uh, a time after that, I will be available for discussion. That would be sweet. Love it. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do a follow up. Thank you, Michael. All right, brother. I'll see you Friday. You got it, my brother. See you guys then. Bye, buddy. Love you. All right, man. Peace and love. Peace and love. Thank you for joining us on the Monsterland Podcast. If you or someone you know has an experience to share, or if you have questions, you can reach us at monsterlandreport at gmail.com. Find us on social media at monsterlandpod. Until we meet again in Monsterland. Monsterland.